Hi everyone, this is Sia D. Clayton, Head of Content here at Goodlord. Today's podcast is a recording of our webinar, Taking Advantage of the Renters' Reform Bill, How Savvy Agents Can Get Ahead in 2024. The Renters' Reform Bill gives a number of new, unique opportunities for agents to get ahead. You'll hear from Laura Tweedy, Barrister at Gatehouse Chambers, and Sean Hooker, Head of Redress at the Property Redress Scheme. Ollie Sherlock, our Managing Director of Insurance at Goodlord, will, will guide the discussion. So, without further ado, on with the podcast. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to this instalment of the Good Lord webinar series. Um, the Rent Reform Bill series started many moons ago and it's carrying on and hopefully uh, continues to be as insightful um, as possible. And I'm sure today's will be as I'm joined by two fantastic guests. Uh, my name is Ollie Sherlock. I'm Managing Director of Insurance here at Good Lord. And today I'm joined by Laura Tweedy, who's a barrister at Gatehouse Chambers, and Sean Hooker, who's Head of Redress at the Property Redress Scheme. I'm going to start with you, Laura. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. I am very well. It's a beautiful day. It is outside indeed. Outside my window. So feeling very good. Looking forward to chatting to you all about this. Yes, thank you so much for, for bringing your expertise to the webinar. And you're somebody who's followed the webinar now or this series for, for some time, right? I think you reached out and sort of said, hey, could I, could I help out? And we're absolutely grateful for you, for you attending. So you, you've kind of been the other side of this uh, on a, a, a few times, I, I gather. Yes, I've um, sort of been dealing with renters reform and the legal side of things since, you know, be, you know, before the white paper even was brought out and training lots of solicitors and clients in relation to what might happen. And I was really enjoying the good Lord um, approach to this. I think you've got it right. And so I'm really thrilled to be part of um, part of it now. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, let me let me come and play. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for coming. And just just very briefly explain what your day job is then, Laura. Uh, I'm a property barrister, so I've um, been a barrister for about 17 years and I go to court, I write opinions, I sort of deal predominantly with landlords and advise on landlord and tenant issues. So whether that's sort of policy advice, what should we do, or when it's all gone very, very wrong, when you don't want to see me, I try and sort it all out. I'm also a mediator, so I do approach things from a litigation perspective, but personally, I'm very focused on resolution as opposed to dispute. And and indeed, you know, like any kind of um, challenge, the more work you put in the front end normally helps alleviate any stress in the back end. And that's what we're trying to do here. Right? We're hoping that actually all of our attendees never have to see your face probably in that in that context, because hopefully they can do things right and they can yeah. provide fantastic service. But uh, on a more positive note, thank you for joining. We're also joined by by Sean Hooker. Now, Sean, um, you've been a mainstay on some of these um, web- webinars. But for the people who who haven't joined before, can you just sort of go through what, you, what your sort of day job? looks like please yeah good morning lolly uh good morning laura as well and everybody uh right i deal with complaints so i am head of redress at the property redress scheme and we uh we deal with complaints uh, of customers of letting agents estate agents property managers uh basically i try to bring people together resolve and make sure that uh that complaints are handled in in the correct way so very similar to uh to uh, what Laura yeah. does, but we are done uh, uh, as a, a government-approved um, scheme, uh, so you have to be a member of it. And uh, if uh, I make a decision, uh, yeah, unfortunately, elected agents, you have to abide by my decision. If you can't come to a, a mutually agreed uh, settlement, uh, I impose one on you. So uh, I have a carrot and a stick, basically. Carrot for the hair and stick. Very, very rarely do I use a stick. <laughs> And, and talking of the hair, Sean, I, I noted earlier you've had a fantastic new haircut, looking brilliant. Um, so all ready for the Christmas Christmas festive period, I'm sure, <laughs> but looking sparkling as, as usual. Um, uh, I really looking forward to this uh, to this what this webinar because uh, I think this is the one time I'm going to speak less because I'm really interested to hear from Laura's perspective on the legal side. So I, I think it's going to be really interesting. I, I'm, I'm not taking any bets on that, Sean. Uh, I know you too well. Um, but indeed, you're here. I'm here, and, and as is everyone else, here to both hear your and Laura's views on what we're going to talk about. So we're going to talk about taking advantage of the reform bill um, and how agents can get ahead in 2024. Um, I would argue that any any change is opportunity. 
Um, and within that, um, sometimes it's hard to see the opportunity. And I definitely think within this change, it's been hard because of the time in which has amassed since we kind of understood what this thing was going to be, what it potentially could be, and to where we are now. We're going to go through where we are now and then sort of form, hopefully, an opinion of what the opportunity is moving forwards and talking about how the landscape is changing over the next hour. Um, the Q&A is switched on from the very start, as always, for all attendees. So please do throw any questions you may have um, regarding the renters' reform bill or any aspect of it you can add that into the q a chat and we'll try and go through as many questions as we possibly can as we go through the slides we also have um a segment later as well we've got stephanie from a good law perspective running the slides thank you stephanie if we have any technical problems please bear with us we'll jump straight back on um uh, I, I i'm calling in from lincolnshire which has just got electricity so on the basis of that if my wi-fi drops like it did in our practice session i will jump straight back on so apologies in advance if that happens but touch wood we've had pretty good form so far in these sessions but not happening so hopefully we'll be absolutely dandy um and you'll be able to hear us throughout if at any stage you can't hear us or indeed the sound's muffled again please just point it out to us uh, you're normally really good at attendees tell us something's not quite right and we'll try and fix it straight away but let's look forward and if you go to the next slide please let's look forward to to, to what we're going to be talking about today and also just giving you a reminder um of where good lord sits um within this aspect um we, we take um uh, industry uh legislative uh challenge really seriously um we believe that we can be part of the solution and part of an education process and indeed you may have seen um our latest sta state of the lettings industry report this is something we compile on an annual basis that takes views from across the industry from all stakeholders and puts them into one report for you as letting agents and professionals. Um, I would urge you, if you haven't, to download this and use it with some of your customers. We've had great examples of letting agents using the data here to be forward-facing in front of especially landlords to help educate them. Um, and indeed, that's part of the job, isn't it? And educating landlords on what's going on and why it's happening. Um, hopefully, you've got a resource there that is helpful. Um, the last real note of what Good Lord is, um, if you don't want to ever speak to Laura or Sean, I may suggest you might want to use the Good Lord platform because Good Lord keeps you compliant. It allows you to manage the pre-tenancy process um, efficiently, uh, swiftly, and allows you to focus on things that are growing your business. So Good Lord takes care of everything from a landlord's terms of business all the way through the, to the tenancy signing, the holding deposit being collected, the first month's rent being uh, collected, rent collection thereafter, rent protection insurance, and everything in between. If you want to understand more about what Good Lord can do for your business, please visit our website at www.goodlord.co where you can book a demo and we'll gladly take you through how Good Lord could be a positive effect and uh, a process for your business. Like with all these sessions, it's not about Good Lord. It's not about what we sell and what we do. It's really here to discuss what's going on in the industry. Um, and with that in mind, we're going to cover four different segments today. We're going to talk about what stage the bill is currently in. Uh, we're now um, at arguably the business end of this process, which it feels like it's lasted for, for years and years and years because it has lasted for years and years and years. Um, so we're going to talk about where we are at the moment. We're going to look at some of the um, current industry sentiment that we've garnered as part of the state of the industry report. We're going to also discuss what's next politically. Um, the political landscape in this country, especially when it comes to housing, really shapes um, our destiny, I would argue. Um, you know, how many homes we build, the, the view we take on landlords and tenants and how we support those, those two different parties, frankly, all comes from the political um, sphere. So we're going to discuss exactly what that looks like and what we think it looks like going into 2024. And then we're going to turn uh, our attentions onto you as letting agents and discuss how agents can take advantage of such an uncertain market going into the next year with the renters reform bill looming over us. As I said, the Q&A is open from, from the word dot, but we will have time hopefully at the end um, in, in order to cover those, uh, cover any questions. And I see there's a question in already, which I'll come to shortly, uh, from somebody who hasn't left their name. So please do give your name, um, really, just so I can say good morning to you. Um, but without further ado, let's have a look at where we are and where the bill currently is. Um, Laura, I'm going to come to you first. Um, can you just give us an update as to where we are in this process? Because it has been quite a long process to this stage. Um, so can you just inform us of what's happened and where are we? Absolutely. So back in 2019, early 2019, Theresa May mentioned abolishing Section 21. And we had a white paper from the government on what that was going to look like in June 22. And then we got the actual bill in May 2023. So since that's what we're working, that's the meat of what we're looking at. And then that sort of has a, a very long political process. 
Uh, it had its second reading on the 8th of November this year, which was great to get things moving. And we're actually now from the 14th of November in the committee stage. So um, the committee stage is sort of another process. They take information, they discuss the bill. And when will this become sort of when are we looking at moving this forward? I'll sort of we can we can address when we get to that. But at the moment, it's still being debated. Um, by MPs and shadow MPs. And even today, from 9.25, they're looking at it again today. So as we debate it, so are they. Mm, indeed. And we, we we were looking at the um, amendment papers. And actually, to your point, it's, it's a live running document. It's quite interesting. You can actually view this on the government website and you can see all the proposed amendments um, from all different parties and different mm. individuals. Um, and it really sort of um, shines a light on how much work is going in behind the scenes? We may sit here thinking, God, oh, you know, they're sat on their hands a little bit here. But actually, at this stage, you can see what different parties are suggesting and and, and those amendments. One one amendment in particular, um, and one point in particular, has continued to be the um, the, the breaking news story, I suppose, and that's around Section Twenty One. Um, Section Twenty One. Um, for all love and money, was guaranteed to be abolished. Um, I think, Sean, you've been on previous webinars with other industry leaders as well. And the only thing that was certain above death and taxes was that Section 20 was going to be, Section 21 was going to be abolished. Um, but, Sean, that isn't as clear as it once was, is it? Because the government have come out and said, um, actually, there's potentially a, a hurdle here. Do you want to talk us through from your perspective what's happened to Section 21 in particular? Well, absolutely. Uh... It's it's double talk. That to be to be fair, in my personal opinion, and it's very interesting because I you know I've got a name drop a bit now. I was uh, with a meeting with uh, an eminent uh, professor called Professor Hodges yesterday, uh, and along with um, uh, head of the, uh, the the tribunal, uh, Judge McGrath, and we were talking about this with uh, other people from the uh, the sector, the housing ombudsman and and the TPO, and it was basically that uh, court reform has now been thrown into the mix. What's happened is that uh, we know that since COVID and um, the courts have resumed that, that getting any sort of possession order through the courts is a nightmare at the moment. So my good colleague, Paul Champolina, for example, he, uh, he, uh, we run that landlord action. We've never been busier, as he says, which he's got a big smile on his face on that. Well, uh, uh, because it, it means that we're busy and, and lawyers are busy. But. What you're getting is you're getting stagnation and you're getting things not getting done. So what the government has now pledged is before they introduce Section 21, because uh, the abolition of Section 21, because this is going to mean more cases going through court, you've got to have a court system that is fit and proper to deal with them. But in my view, it's a lot of talk because we've been talking about court reform for years and years and years. We've been talking about digitalization of the court systems for years and years and years, and it hasn't happened. So politically, I think this is a, a, a carrot that has been given to the industry to say, well, actually, don't panic. We're not going to do this until the courts are fit and ready. But in my personal view, and Laura, you deal with this every single day, I don't think it's going to happen uh, uh, very soon. But I think politically, they're going to have to get Section 21 on the statute books, and it's going to be, be implemented, if not by this government, by the next government. Indeed. And we'll come on to a bit later, sort of where does that sit between the two different parties, depending who's in power. Um, but Laura, the, the Section 21 and the court reform piece, um, can you give us any insights as to as to why the courts need reforming? To Sean's point, it, it may or may not happen. And there's been debate, yeah. which we'll come to in a minute around whether this is a U-turn or not. But, mm. you know, in your capacity, can you give us an insight as to why court reform is something that is necessary almost away from the section 21 piece piece what why 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 are the courts not fit for purpose arguably at the moment too slow it's in my view it's as simple as that it's too slow if even on section 21 it's still too slow um it, it takes often a year to get a possession order on what should be in my view a slam dunk case um, it's just the, the process is is too slow. As to um, what Sean was saying about these court reforms, court reforms have been talked about for a long time. There's been many debates and decisions made on having a separate housing court. And the government have been clear there is going to be no separate housing court. But in relation to what court reforms are going to happen, it, it seems to me that this is 
potentially just something political. We don't have any detail. And and it's interesting because the committees um, read, I've been reading through the 180 pages of the committee um, recently. And one of the points made is, but the government haven't said anything about what these court reforms might be. How can we benchmark and measure success um, in relation to these court reforms going through? And I think that's absolutely pivotal in my personal view. It does, it's not going to be major overhaul of the court system. For example, in the recent um, in the recent October 23 government response in relation to renters reform, the government are saying, right, what we're going to do is um, we're already recruiting for new bailiffs because that's one of the problems. You can't mm. once you've even got the possession order, you then have a massive delay in getting it executed, getting it actually to take effect. And so. I don't think the government are saying are going to say, oh, no section, you know, we can't go through with section 21 because we've got to overhaul the court system. I think it's just a sort of a little stumbling block in place. No section 21 is happening. I'm really convinced that we're going to end up in a position with no section 21 notices. And it may be the court reform is as simple as we're going to get new bailiffs and we're going to implement a new system for how a court allocates a case. So yeah. I don't think it's as scary as people are thinking it is. Oh well, as, oh, or as good for a landlord as people are thinking it is. And and Mark on the Q and A makes a good point. Good morning, Mark. Um, it says thankfully, as a practitioner in the southwest, a, a section twenty one usually goes through court in two to three months. But do agree, rent arrears etc. can take over a year to go through court. Bailiff del- a delay a delay around four weeks, and these kind of stresses have real life impact on landlords, especially. Um, and um. In my personal view, that level of demonization of landlords, when coupled with these kind of stresses, is absolutely unhelpful in supplying property to the very people that need it, which are tenants. And let's remind ourselves, the point of the bill was to make a fairer PRS, a more balanced PRS. Um, so actually, you know, having things that act as blockers um, is, is wholly unhelpful, which is, you know, we discussed in a previous webinar whether this was a U-turn or not. Um, and I would argue that actually in isolation to, to, to both um, Laura and Sean's point, court reform is absolutely necessary absolutely necessary because actually this these processes have a real life impact and to, to Laura's point take far too long however we've known that this has been the case for many 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 years um and then to pull this out at the 11th hour is a reason why we can't then go forward on the suggested change seems to me somewhat strange and if i was a cynic uh if i was a cynic uh, i would argue that we're kicking the can down the road here and making it somebody else's problem uh, which again will come on to the political um, uh, sort of um, uh, fortunes and, and for, uh, insights in, in a bit. But th- this really does mean that it puts a question mark over whether this reform bill for me is actually going to be introduced under this government. Um, I note that this week, Sean, um, Mr. Gove has come out and assured everybody that from a leaseholder perspective, those changes are going to be brought in. We're yet to hear similar um uh guarantees around the renters reform bill I'm, I'm not saying they won't come but i think it puts a question mark over whether this is deliverable between now and what an election maybe next october um now if you look at the amendments how many pages was that document did you say uh laura 150 180 odd uh the yeah, amendment and papers that, and that was just up, that was just over the last couple of weeks there's a lot to discuss here uh, with quite little time in relative terms. So it's going to be very interesting to see how how how, how this moves through. Um, I suppose the point should be noted, this does have cross-party support, um, and we'll come on to shortly, some of the sort of um, sound bites that Labour have given um, if they were to get into power and some of the assurances they've made uh, around what will happen when it comes to this. Best guess time then, before we move on. Um, Sean, when do you think the renters reform bill will become law? Right, so becoming law, I mean, they're putting their foot down on, on the accelerator from this one. I mean, you've got to remember, probably like COVID, uh, the COVID Act went through in three days. Parliament doesn't work that quickly, ever. But this is, they put their foot down on the accelerator here. So they will finish the committee uh, process because they've got, as I say, Laura said today, they're sitting today, they're sitting on Thursday, they're probably sitting a couple of days next week. By the 5th, it has to go over to the House of Lords. They, they will go through a very similar process to what's happened in the House of Commons. There'll be something called ping pong when the act goes between the two houses and they'll get it through. I think it'll be on the statute books by April. Okay, But even before all of this political shenanigans, there was already going to be a, a large implementation period built into the act. 
So it was always going to be that when Section 21 uh, um, uh, was abolished, it was going to be an interim period. So it would start for new tenancies before it would start for uh, existing ones. And that would take a period of time to roll through, um, which would take us beyond October without a shadow of a doubt. So it will the main impact of this will land after October. Mm. The same with the implementation of a portal or an ombudsman, because they are going to need to procure the services of that. They haven't even decided. I was on this meeting yesterday with all the uh, um, uh, the bodies that may have an interest in this. And they all said they've heard nothing. They don't know what's going on. It's all up in the air. So the implementation period will definitely this is a hiatus. 2024 will be a hiatus. 2025 will be when you will see the impact of this. I'll say one last thing because it's very important because we want to be looking to plan forward. But we won't want people to to, uh, to panic and to think that this is all going to happen uh, to, tomorrow or even when the bill passes in April, if it goes through in April, which I think it will do. It's going to have an implementation period. We've got to be looking at things that are more immediate uh, as well. So, for example, breaking news will be in the next day, if, if, if not today. National Trading Standards are going to announce their material information, Part B and Part C, and, and issue guidance. That's going to be more for agents to be concentrating on now than looking down the line, maybe six, eight, uh, uh, 18 months' time, to when the full impact of this bill will, will come into place. And, and, and that, for me, is where... The cynicism may may have some some basis of truth because what you're saying there is yeah th- th- this thing will come in but the detail of this thing won't be implemented for a long time thereafter and actually if you look at other uh, elements of the bill things like decent homes for example which was 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 the major reason one of the major reasons why this thing was was taken off the ground there is no detail this is a we're, we're going to have the power to do this later and we'll let you know what it looks like um, so I you know I fear that in the lack of that detail it's open. Um, to um, open to change, which may be a benefit, may not. But we're certainly not getting a fully formed, in my view, fully formed uh, bill that gives absolute clarity across the major points that it intended to do at the very start. Um, and that's something that I think for, for, for professionals, that it means that they're going to have to keep watching this space, right, Laura? They're going to have to keep up to date with with what changes are being introduced and when and understanding the difference between something being passed and something being implemented, because there's going to be a, a bit of a waiting period for the sounds of it. How do you think, um, Laura, that affects landlords in terms of sentiment and confidence? So in relation to um, what Sean just spoke to, I, I, I'm inclined to agree, actually, I think. There is momentum getting behind it now. And I think we're going to hopefully get royal assent at some point next year. Or if some if the government sort of have a political shift, they'll put it off till after the election. We just can't predict that. But let's assume mm. for a moment that it happens before the election. Um, and once it's received um, royal assent, there's a period of six months before um, new tenancies are going to be required to be different. And then a period so then, and a period of 12 months for um, old tenancies to sort of convert over. So it's not like immediate, you know, we get the act and then it, then changes are in place. We had, we do have time. Um, as to what we're seeing at the moment um, <clears throat> from the committee stage, it's interesting that what the sort of landlord's points of view have been taken into account. We have had um, the, the sort of take evidence from important people in the sector and um, that has happened. And so the sort of people are landlords are feeding in as to this um, in terms of do you want me to uh, sort of deal with now what sort of what what things we've seen are being proposed? Mm, please. Yeah, it's quite I found it quite interesting um, reading. It's important, I, I think, just to note this October 20th of October 23 government response, because that was the that was the document that said, oh, we need these court reforms. I read that document. I don't think it was as sort of stark as the media have made it out to be. But what it also said was there's going to be a student ground for possession. This is major. This was more this is sort of the headline to me. Mm. In so much lobbying about students, the student market didn't work under the current um the, the, the proposed bill. And so finally the government have backtracked and they've said, okay, there's going to be a student ground for possession. So that's super interesting. Um and super interesting if you're a lawyer, perhaps. <laughs> um, and then they're also the government's also saying it's going to legislate about what the judge considers reasonable when looking at the grounds for possession. And if I just pause there for a moment, 
this doesn't just because we lose Section 21, it doesn't mean we lose the ability as a landlord to take possession. We have already Section 8. We will continue to have Section 8 and Section 8 will be developed and expanded to give new grounds for possession. For example, something we don't have at all now is this sort of ground 8A. If a tenant goes into arrears of three times, essentially, for a day, mm. two, two months arrears, three times over a period, three years, mandatory possession order. So it's not sort of all lost for landlords just because you lose Section 21. Um, and, yeah, it, it's interesting that the court's even saying we're going to when we're looking at grounds, which the judge is to consider, is it reasonable here to, for me to give this landlord? A possession order, or shall I let the tenant stay? The, judge, the, the government are saying they're going to legislate on what that will be. So we already have a move forward. And then recently, um, I found it interesting um, to look at what the shadow, the Labour shadow minister is saying. And I'm just when I'm looking down, I'm just reminding myself <laughs> of my notes. Um, and he's he's asking for a load of things. And just to caveat this, this isn't what the government are saying is going to happen, but it might give sort of a flavour of what of what the sort of political mm. mind is in Labour. They, for example, they've said when using the one of the grounds under eight that uh, schedule section eight that I've just said about using sale or occupation. So when a landlord's proposing to sell or proposing to occupy by his family members, they want evidence provided within so 16 weeks of what that will what that will be because at the moment it's quite an open ground to landlords um as to what they're ac what actually happens on the ground after so i thought that was interesting he was also suggesting um that certain grounds move to two, four months notice to be given by the landlord mm. not two um he wanted this ground 8a that i mentioned to be discretionary not mandatory and the last point i wanted to make is he also was suggesting fines. You know, we've talked about implementation and enforcement of this will be through fines to the landlord from the local authority, essentially. Mm. And there's 5,000 or 30,000, depending on the seriousness. He wants to increase them to 30,000 and 60,000. And that faced strong opposition from the government who's saying that they think the five and the 30 are the right level. So very much a work in progress. But this is this is where we're moving, moving through at the moment. And landlords um, views have been considered by the government. And and you can see with that sort of range of potential change and challenge, why some landlords would be less than optimistic when it comes to this bill. Because I think like most industries, landlords like certainty. They want to know where they're, where, where they're standing. And there's been a lot made of landlords exiting the market, a mass exodus. Um, I, I don't quite buy that that rhetoric. Um, I, I do believe landlords are leaving the market, um, whether it's a mass exodus or not, and whether we're net down on amount of PRS properties, I think remains to be seen. And I'm not sure that rhetoric is overly helpful for, for the overall market and the industry itself, because, you know, panic creates panic. And, you know, we have a, a role to play, I think, as letting agents and professionals to educate, to your point um that you know these changes are not absolutely limiting your ability to get a property back for example which has been the major the major theme around section 21 in some landlord forums but it is clear from our data that landlords are pessimistic as are letting agents uh, around this um now this is shifting the, the, the letting agent wise especially agents are becoming a bit more um a bit more um optimistic um than not um around the changes because i think we're understanding more and more but this really sort of highlights the fact that, you know, a level of uncertainty and this continue to drag on, especially if we get a bill that is detail light. Um, and that's possible in numerous areas. Um, I think there's going to have to be absolute surety around Section 21 replacement to your Section 8 point. But things like I said, noted earlier, decent home standard coming down the tracks, for example, there won't be certainty, I don't think, in, in the next two year or two on that and what that means. It will be introduced at a late stage. And the, the government essentially through this bill will have the power to do so. They're noting that in the bill itself. But, you know, sentiment is important because, you know, the industry is built on confidence. Um, and hopefully what we can do as professionals and letting agencies educate landlords to, to, to the points that you're making there, Laura, that these are going to be your options. This is what this, this is what the future could look like. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm a big believer that good, good landlords like good tenants and good tenants like good landlords. And there is a market here. Um, and arguably a market that's growing from a rental value perspective because supply is is below where it needs to be. Um, and we are seeing landlords take advantage of that. Now, 
I suppose, Sean, if you're a highly leveraged landlord that has gone and got five or six properties and you've got um, uh, you're indebted to those six or five, five or six properties up to the hilt, then life is going to be difficult because you've got wider economic um, uh, effects. Um, but there are going to be serious steps that landlords have to go through in order to comply with this. And one of those um, is highlighted by Eric. Um, good morning, Eric. I hope you're well. Um, he says landlords will need to register for membership of a redress scheme for each legal entity in which a property is owned. This will run into millions. How long will this take and could a redress scheme cope? I, I think you're very well placed, um, Sean, to maybe answer that question out of the three of us. Right. Well, Eric, Eric's right, because they, what the government um, proposed as their register, and let's not uh, beat around the bush, this is a form of national landlord register for England, um, is that they uh, it's going to be property driven. So each of the properties will be be, be registered. So if it's property driven, then, you know, your, your house doesn't move, your flat doesn't move. But what does move is the uh, who is responsible, who is legally responsible. So we already had the dilemma of what happens if you are using an agent where does that kick in with what we do as an agent redress and what they're proposing to do for landlord redress but equally now the issue is of what happens if you have multiple trusts and multiple companies and other things there how is this data going to be uh, a recorded b monitored what's going to be the uh, the implications on that so the answer to that is i don't know because we I, I like simple solutions. So I think if we drive it by the property, that's the fixed entity that you can fix it on. But you're still going to have to find out who is going to be accountable. And bless Laura, this is where you are going to get a lot of the legal challenges. We've already had the recusion case there on rent to rent, which is uh, uh, that they're looking to undo as part of the uh, as part of the reform. Um, Recruition is the one where uh, the, the, the superior landlord, the person that owns the property, wasn't the person who the tenants were letting uh, the property from. That was a rent-to-rent agent who was in between. The law now says that uh, the person that owns the property is not as culpable for things like landlord licensing as the person who is actually the intermediate landlord. Uh, there's been a lot of information on Good Lord uh, uh, on that if you want to go uh, and find out. Um, there's a lot of reading on that. They're looking to try and un undo that. That's going to be quite messy. So I think, Eric, I'm on my optimistic side, if we make this as simple as possible, drive it by the property, we might not have to have all of this. But you're absolutely right. Any, any redress scheme or any portal that's going to be set up it's going to take a long time for this to be populated and compliance to come in. They found it in Scotland. They found it with Red Smart Wales. So, again, this is another light the touch paper and stand back for, uh, until um, uh, until the, uh, the fuse is burnt down and then it might all go bang. I, I, like the, I like the portal because from your legal side of things, it puts everything in one place. It puts everything that you're supposed to be doing there. There's going to be probably, I don't know, tick boxes to say this, that and the other. And it sort of creates, you know, we've been talking about uncertainty. This, for me, creates more certainty. The good landlords that are able to do this correctly will be safer because mm. all of the information will be there. They're not going to be able to be challenged as easily. I I, I, I agree uh, in principle. Um, and if, if I was played devil's advocate to Sean's point, um, which I think is accurate. Like, hey, this thing's coming. It's going to take some time. It's not going to take some time. It's going to take some investment. It's going to take expertise, and it's going to take stakeholder management to get both the redress scheme and the portal off the ground. And to the best of my knowledge, Sean, these are still frameworks on a sheet somewhere. There, there isn't anything meaningful in terms of progress done here. So it kind of bolsters the point of, you know, from a timeline perspective, we could be some way off actually seeing these things enacted. And the idea that we know something's coming, but we don't quite know when, again, just promotes a level of uncertainty that I think is is somewhat helpful. And I suppose the other point, to, to your point there, Laura, is I agree that level of that framework of having a portal that keeps everything in one place, I think over time turns into something like a, you know, a property logbook, actually, that you could add to that has a historic um, nature to it. That means people have got transparency. That's fantastic. Um, the slight problem I have is that with all of this, ever since the white paper, and if you control F on the white paper all the way through to the bill, I think you'll struggle to find the term letting agent in any of the documents. 
And that for me is a problem because you've got around 45 to 50% of the PRS that is supported by letting agent professionals. And I highlight the word professional. And I think that gives a benefit to both tenants and landlord. But also it's not clear in, in terms of the role letting a- agents can play when interacting with these kind of steps. So what it looks like is that letting agents will have to follow one process to make sure that they are compliant. Landlords will have to follow another process themselves to make sure that they are compliant. I, I just would really appreciate... Um, I think the market would, and understanding that letting agents play a crucial role and understanding what steps they could carry out on behalf of landlords, because that's why they exist. And actually what this needs is almost a, a two-level education system that means landlords know exactly what they need to do, letting agents know exactly what they need to do, mm-hmm. and the two do cross over. So I'm going to be interested to see what sort of um, powers or not letting agents, when managing a property hold, I suspect from the omission of their, of their title alone, um, there's going to be very little, which I think is a shame because I think there's a way to, to centralise around professionalism, especially when we look forward at the potential of regulation for letting agents. Um, not very many markets would um, ignore professionals. Imagine if the financial market turned around and said, we're, you know, we're just going to ignore, ignore the professional part of this. We're going to let people do exactly what they want, but we're going to regulate them all individually. Um, it seems to be a long way around a, a problem that you've got, you know, what, 12 plus thousand professionals out there that could really help with this. Instead, they're being slightly sidelined. And, you know, I, I appreciate I could be attacked because, hey, I, we have a commercial interest in that. It's how I feel. I, I've been a letting agent myself. I think they play a crucial role. Um, and uh, I think tenants have a better experience when they're renting through a, a letting agent. We've had focus groups you know, commit that. So I think, you know, blending in the role of the letting agent here to these cha- challenges and understanding that there's there's different um, objectives here is uh, is potentially really confusing for, for both landlords and, and, uh, and letting agents. Um, Mark says, the landlord portal, um, the devil is in the detail and at whose cost. Uh, government and IT have a very poor track record. This, of course, Mark, is your opinion. I couldn't possibly comment. Um, what I would say, though, is that if it follows the new passport process, which when, I, when we spoke with DLUC, they were looking at that framework, that actually is more robust than anything else I've seen the government pr- uh, promote. Um, and I would expect some something like a DVLA integration here. But the absolute vital point of a portal for me is integration. It has to be open to integrations to allow this to be um, succinct and really allow it to deliver the absolute benefit that I believe it can do in in, in terms of Laura's point. Um, I'm, I'm not going to touch back on Section 21. We've talked about that. And whether you believe it's a U-turn or not, um, or whether it, there's a level of cynicism there that we're using this well-known challenge to kick the can down the road, I'll, I'll leave that to personal opinion. One of the things that uh, I, I did in preparation for this webinar, I've done previously as well, is go back to some of the statements that were made um, uh, when this was this kind of process was was suggested. And we've got to remember, Sean Law, this was a manifesto pledge. Um, it's quite rare that government sits on a manifesto pledge for as long uh, when it has cross-party support and everyone thinks it's a good idea. I, I would suggest it's because it's quite complicated along with they've had other priorities, in all fairness. Um, but one of the initial parts of the um, uh, or objectives of the of the bill was to introduce a decent home standard. Um, Laura, where are we on decent homes? It's it's not part of it. It's it's not it's not part of this um, bill. And the government are mentioning that they want to introduce decent home standards. But in my view, that's quite a big thing to do. It's quite a major change. And I don't anticipate that happening anytime soon. Um, it may be that they put something in that allows them to bring it in through regulation, um, which would be quite dangerous in my view. But um, that also just takes me back to just a couple of points on what you were just saying, Ollie. Sort of, it's, I had three sort of points that hopefully we'll be able to assist. These things that we don't have detail on. And Mark's right, that you know, the devil's in the detail. And at the moment, I think those are going to be brought through in regulation. So, you know, we were talking about the timeframes when this mm. will happen. These are going to be things that happen even later because the, the detail isn't included. The government will bring them in in the years that follow, years, months, I don't know, that follow by regulation. And there was two points as to the agents that I just wanted to touch upon. One is absolutely where's the reference to agents, but Agents can play a really pivotal role here. They can be the ones who say to the landlords, look at me, I'm a great agent and I'm going to help you to put Mm. all of this information into the portal and I'll take all this responsibility. You know, educating agents as you do, Ollie, is key here. And, um, you know, the people that are on this call are clearly interested and engaged in the good, good landlords, the good agents who want to do this right. 
And so they've got a key role to play in the sort of opportunity there as to what they can take off the hands of landlords. And you mentioned about what good agents want good tenants. I would say absolutely. And from my legal perspective, the, the sort of what I see, I see it when it all goes wrong, right? Mm. That's normally when landlords are managing it by themselves. It's yeah. not to say that all agents are great. They're not. I've had cases where the agents have just made huge errors, which has totally messed up the landlords. And then you look at sort of actions against the agent separately. But mostly, if it's gone really bad, it's normally the landlord trying to do it themselves. Mm. And, and and that's because this is complicated. The, the, you know, <laughs> renting and managing a property um, is a is a serious job. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I, I am supportive of regulation. I think when you're handling such a serious job, you know, there should be a level of regulation that allows you to, one, make sure that all of your staff and you have a, you know, have a framework in which you can recognize you're of a certain standard. That's important. That protects professionals, I think, away from unscrupulous people who, who set up an agency tomorrow, then disappear the next day. Um, but also this is hard and, you know, my 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 view is that we should be working on that forty five to fifty percent and increasing the amount of landlords that understand the value of an agent and with that value hopefully it comes more value in itself i e the agents can dictate a a higher fee for their services because for too long I would argue agents have undervalued their level of service and end up doing far too much at far too little cost um and actually you know there's a level of expertise here so one argument here from a um, a change in opportunity perspective is that more layers of complexity that are delivered as part of change and reform offers more opportunity for letting agents to really deliver and support peace of mind to landlords. And, you know, that can't be understated when we're facing potential um, legislation that it has impending five to £30,000 fines. Now, we've just heard from Laura earlier that those fines could be challenged. Now, the government's been pretty clear they don't want to move on those. I think that's fair. They feel proportionate if not maybe over uh proportionate um certainly a sixty thousand pounds that would feel slightly over the top um in my view but the point is the risk is very real and of course the riskiest stage is when any change is implemented because there's more chance of landlords not being educated than than they are um decent home standard being omitted i think sean is a is a crying shame because i'm not sure there's anyone on this call that wouldn't want to ensure improvements across the entire PRS. And there's been, unfortunately, plenty of examples where uh, within the PRS or indeed social housing, um, you know, the, the, the standard of a home has meant um, there's been extremely um, upsetting and horrible outcomes. And that really highlights the seriousness of the role of, of people providing homes to individuals. Um, it will be interesting to see where we end with this and when that, that regulation is delivered and, and what the frameworks are. We had an insight in the white paper, actually, on what that looks like, and then it's gone missing again. Um, so it'd be interesting to see where that goes. Um, it's not the only change, and probably one of the most, probably one of the easiest changes for the bill to introduce, Sean, is the change from an assured shorthold tenancy into an assured tenancy. What's your view on this and what are you hearing from from agents and landlords alike? Because that is a relatively simple switchover, isn't it, in in relative terms to the rest of the things we've discussed? It's a Pandora's box, to be honest. Um, it's the one thing that I, from my observation, it sounds simple, but the one thing from my observation that is actually uniting those groups that represent tenants with those groups that represent landlords and agents. And that is, we're not we're not certain about this. We've gone from a situation where you can go into a, a, a landlord and say, I want to rent a property for an extended period of time because I've got children. I want to, uh, to go to the local primary school, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you can sign a fixed term tenancy. So now being, well, actually, I can't by law offer you the certainty that, that you will want to stay in that property for the period that you want to do so, because I have to, by law, put you on this rolling tenancy. And equally, on the other hand, the landlord's got to say, well, actually, I didn't want to rent the property out because I'm going to work in uh, Dubai for a year and I want the property back when I uh, when I get home. Otherwise, I'm going to have nowhere to live. I want to rent it out for a year or I'm in the student sector and I know they're doing something now in the, on uh, to, uh, to address mm. that problem. But it still come, doesn't come down to the fundamentals that fixed term means a fixed term for a lot of people. And it gives them that planning and certainty. So I'm not sure that this has been the wisest idea to implement. They've tried to go down the Scotland route. They say there's been no problems in Scotland. I don't live in Scotland. But what I'm hearing is that it hasn't wrecked the, the system up there, but it's made it a lot less 
certain and a lot a lot more insecure. That's my personal view. How it will work. This is why the grounds are so important. Mm. And one of the amendments I saw that was put forward by the opposition is basically it's almost a proposal to say there should be no mandatory grounds. Also, the mandatory grounds that uh, at the moment for getting your property back, uh, um, um, for uh, moving back into it or to sell it, they don't want to, uh, even to have that as a mandatory as a mandatory grant. Totally at the discretion of a judge. How that would work, I think we are looking at potentially. This is more controversial than actually scrapping Section Twenty One. If you scrap Section Twenty One and kept fixed term tenancy, I think there would have been a an easier route forward personally mm. but i'm not a lawyer i'm not going to sit down here and have to contest every one of these cases and and uh and, and all the the nuances and the back uh you know the, the the shortcuts and everything else that people are always trying to close off all these loopholes what i can see at the moment this has got more loopholes than my granny's crochet to be honest <laughs> we'll use that quote to promote the podcast sean um um, no, I agree. I, I, I fear, though, that Section 21 has it all the airtime. And this is it's got to be one of these things that's remained in the background. And, and whilst there's been some joined up thinking on challenging this, there doesn't seem to be any recognition that this thing is or this motion is going to get changed in, in any way above and beyond the student process. So I my expectation from everything we've seen and indeed any amendments that have been suggested, which, of course, have to go through the, the due process, is that we should expect to see that process introduced in the way that the bill suggested it would and the white paper suggested it would. So I think that was for all new tenancies uh, initially. And then I think 12, 20 months later, all retrospective tenancies would then be applied. Um, and, you know, that, that again, we would need to understand what that retrospective action looks like. Is that a change to contract? Is that an addendum? Is it, it just is? That's the law. I think understanding the actual process that agents and landlords have to go through to recognise that change is going to be really important. And I think there's also question marks here around the legitimacy of, of guarantors, for example. You know, under an assured tenancy, you're, you're essentially holding a guarantor liable in perpetuity. And uh, as per my understanding, at least of contract law, uh, which is very limited, so it might be wrong, um, you can't do that. You can't say to me you're liable forever. And we can't give you the, the definition of what you're liable for. It's forever. Now, how the market deals with that and how we deal with that, it will be interesting. But um, And that goes all the way from a referencing perspective, all the way through to, to your position, Laura, of actually executing and supporting landlords in a legal defence if, if necessary. So I think there still is some question marks over that and, and understanding exactly how it's implemented will be, will be important. Um, Victoria, good morning to you. Um, you ask, how would this affect the rent review process? Um, so far, the rent review process um, um, has been has been noted. Actually, there's been some quite a, quite a bit of debate and discussion around this, hasn't it, Laura? And this centralises around the. It's not the introduction because Section 13 exists already. It's yeah. kind of the doubling down of the Section 13 yeah. process, right? Yeah. So basically, what it, it's a really good question. Thank you, Victoria. Um, essentially, it's it's really it's changing quite a lot. No more contractual rent increases. The only way a landlord is going to be able to increase the rent is using the Section 13 procedure, um, and that will be able to be done yearly. And if there's dispute between the landlord and tenant as to the rent, and just note there, the rent is to be the market rent. And I think that is quite an important point that's mm. sort of gone under the radar as well. You know, the legislation is clear. The rent is to be the market rent, not just what the landlord wants the rent to be. It's the market rent. And if if it's disputed it goes to the first tier property tribunal which is a sort of a court many of you be familiar with it with all with different sorts of things but it's a, it's a tribunal it's a court and the judges in that tribunal will determine the rent as between the landlord and tenant and then they can sort of backdate it to the date of the notice and the section 13 and from my point of view one of the most controversial provisions is this and i don't want to scare anyone the land a landlord and tenant who contract on a rent within the first six months the tenant will still be able to go to the first tier property tribunal and challenge that rent and say to the landlord oh that's not the market rent i don't want to pay it even though they've just contracted for it and the ftt will have the power first tier tribunal will have the power to change the the rent within the first six months of the tenancy that's really surprising to me um but yeah i hope that sort of summarizes the rent review process i could do sort of half an hour on that but i hope that's a summary 
I, I think as we get more clarity and we get more more certainty, sorry, Sean, as we get more certainty on these things, we will we will do individual sessions solely on one point because there's so many different layers to some of these changes. And I think to highlight the risk there, Laura, is absolutely fair. And I think the other point I would note is that, you know, when people, when tenants are looking for support or asking a question, if the recourse they have is uh, simple, um, it can be unchallenged and there's no cost to it. I'm going to argue that most tenants will take that that recourse and they'll go down that road. And that means to me that if, if, if at least the first phase of these changes, the first tier, the first tier tribunal process could be absolutely overwhelmed. And I'm not in the business of scaremongering. I'm not saying you know, it's going to fall over, but I, I worry about the volumes of cases and the lag effect of those cases. Because of course, that FTT does have the ability, um, legislative wise, of what we understand at the moment, to backdate those changes as well. Now, they can also work both ways. I'd point to, to Laura's sort of risky part of it. I'd point out that actually the FTT could turn around and say, actually, the £1,000 that the landlord's asked for is not market rate. £1,200 is market rate. And that's the amount you should pay. As I understand it, it can work both ways. I think it's probably unlikely, but it can work both ways. So all these changes have quite a lot of layers to them. But Victoria, at the moment, that's exactly what we're seeing. Um, and understanding those changes as it goes through that and how we can prescribe to those, how you can, you can ensure landlords can be as compliant as possible is going to be really, um, really important. Um, and to your question, Zita, this morning, if a landlord wanted to keep the rent at a lower level, would the FTT still bring it up to market value? Yes, their, their job, as I understand it, is to dictate the market value rent to that point. So if a landlord was below that threshold, um, arguably, yes, the FTT could turn around and say that that amount isn't isn't in line with market value. I think going back to the points around assured tenancies and to this point as well, there's a risk here, I suppose, Sean, that it lacks a bit of common sense, uh, where you've got a, you know, you've got a tenant saying, I would like a fixed term for 12 months, please, because I need, you know, I've got to apply for this school. And you've got a landlord saying, I want a fixed term for 12 months as well. That is just not going to be possible under the new framework, right? Which I think some find quite bemusing to your initial point of it, this being challenged. Well, I think, I think just going back on a point, I, I, I was intervening because you picked up on it very, very quickly afterwards which is going to be about the pressures onto the first tier tribunal and as i said i was in a meeting yesterday talking to uh, um to the to the leading judge of the tribunal the government started off with the premise that the, the changes to section 13 rules would mean an additional 1600 cases per year in addition to what's already going through the court, uh, the tribunals at the moment to which the jaw of the uh, of, of this eminent judge dropped and said you're way off She's managed to get them to think about 20,000 additional cases. But how long is their piece of string? Mm. Once this gets out there, and this is the only way, it, you know, basically there will be a new industry of lawyers going around saying, have, have, uh, you know, is your landlord trying to raise your rent? Here's how to challenge it. For a small fee, we can take you through the tribunal process. It's going to happen. It's going to be mm-hmm. another cottage industry uh, added into what is already uh, um, a, a system which is creaking at the seams. So, but going back to you, absolutely right on 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 the on the on the tenancies. It's not going to suit all landlords, and that's going to be the problem. Now, we can't make law around hard cases, but when you when the when when you're your contingent minorities are significant, like students or retirement home people or young fam or, or, or families wanting to to move into more sustainable um, longer term renting, which is now part of the infrastructure of our our our, um, uh, our society. There will be people who will go through their entire lives with never never owning a property, but mm. still want the security of, of 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 what is basically a family home. It hasn't been thought through in my view. Mm. No, I, I think that's fair, and and maybe that problem, maybe that problem isn't isn't achievable to overcome. Maybe there isn't a solution for that. And I think that's the other thing that you know we're, we're trying to access a perfect end solution to give everybody security and everybody absolute confidence. And I would argue maybe that doesn't exist in a market where you're talking about somebody owning a property, then then lending it to somebody else, and then their lives being changeable, especially with the backdrop of economic stress and turmoil too, for both landlords and tenants. And that's the that's the point as well, right? For landlords, the, the cost of living crisis, inflation, interest rate changes have had real life effects as just as they had uh, have had for tenants. Um, so you know maybe this maybe this problem doesn't have a one one size fit all solution, Sean. Never has. And I think the reality is now, I think we have to be very uh, um, uh, pragmatic, but uh, uh, not over-pessimistic, even optimistic. 
look, we've faced, the industry's faced uh, uh, tsunamis and, and disasters before, and there hasn't been a mass extension of the of the sector. In fact, it's grown. So, for example, when the, uh, the Tenant Fees Act came through, everybody was predicting that was going to be the end of the, uh, the agent market, and the thousands and thousands of uh, uh, branches would close down, and, and, and it would be an absolute disaster. Yes, there was uh, a lot of impact on that. It's mm. still having an impact. However, the market's been resilient. It's bounced back, and uh, it, 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 it's, it's thriving. I mean, if you look at the number of people that are still joining my scheme, I don't yeah. know where they come. Mm. There's no shyness of to come and become a, a letting agent in this market at the present moment. They're coming mm. in, they're joining the schemes, and they're setting up businesses. That's because the market is resilient. They are thinking of new and in, innovative uh, ways of, of dealing with the market. They are starting to think, well, actually, the traditional way of doing things isn't necessarily the way that I'm going to have to run my business ongoing. And, and that's coming from a, a, a driver of, 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 of a new generation of, of, of uh, agents coming in, the under, the under, uh, uh, you know, the under 30s, under 40s and under 30s. It's amazing you now go to these, uh, these events and you see how many young professional letting agents there actually are. You mm. know, I suppose then we all started as being young, so we were those people. <laughs> now, hey, speak speak for yourself, Sean. I mean, goodness <laughs> me. <laughs> no, I've always I've always looked like this. Yeah. <laughs> I think no, I think it's a great point, and and listen, that's one of the benefits of being in a free market. Free markets often do take care of themselves, whether we like it or not. They they find a way to meander around challenge and change. And I think landlords and letting agents alike are central to that that overcoming that challenge. Um, I want to cover a few questions before we move into the final sort of five minutes of the of the webinar, if I can. Um, uh, somebody who's not left their, their name, but good morning to you nonetheless, uh, asked, how is the, tri the tribunal going to establish what the market rent is? Um, I'm not sure we've we've fully understood the barometer that they would use yet, right, Sean or Laura. I don't think that's been clarified as as to what data source or point they would use in order to establish that. Um, one no, would argue it can't be the ONS because that's that's lag data. Um, no, I think what what one sort of tip there for landlords that I've been sort of giving out is perhaps when you're setting your rent, have a three or four examples of what you say the market rent is. Mm. Sort of at the time attached to the tenancy agreement. So you're already setting out what you say the market rent is to try and prevent any challenge. Yeah. Um, the, the, you know, the market rent is what the market rent is. It's hard, that's not set. It's not a, it's not a sort of imposed rent yeah. or a capped rent. It is what it is. Um, so it will be interesting. I've seen reference in the questions to whether it's going to be sort of be on a square footage. I'm not sure if it will. I think it will be more property based. The tribunal will, I think, I don't know, look at in this area, flats of three beds are going for this figure. In this area with these parameters, a four bedroom house is going for this area, this, this it's, amount. It's gonna be it's gonna be a dangerous game to play because you know, you could have exactly the same square footage, you could have exactly the same bedrooms, but you could have just spent twenty thousand pounds on it and it'd be the best damn property in the four mile radius. And mm -hmm. it's gonna it, there's gonna be so many nuances to this that are gonna have to be worked out and and either understood yeah. or taken as written. And you know, one of the arguments there, if we're not careful, is that it actually results in landlords investing less in their property. Because yeah. hey, it doesn't really which matter. Which is against the exact way well, you've 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 got you followed my lead there. It's against That's the right. decent home standards. It doesn't create a better environment for the tenants. And guess what? All of this ends up being counterproductive. But I'm going to move on. Um, Maria says, "Great meeting. Thank you very much. And good morning to you. Would it be possible to have a recording of this, please? It is indeed. We're going to send a recording post meeting out to all attendees and signups. Um, uh, Sahim uh, points out that the FTT will never be a success in challenging rents. There is no method or structure to determine market rents. I think you're agreeing with our with our points." And what they're all or indeed understanding the challenge that, that, that faces the FTT. Um, Hugh says, um, has not been thought through, seems to be a theme of everything I've heard so far about this entire bill. No plan, no depth. Um, Hugh, um, I I think it's fair to say there is elements here um that has not have not been thought through its entirety, although I see it as our job collectively to try and challenge and inform um, decision makers the best we possibly can and try and shape the bill as much as we possibly can. And I think, you know, if you look at where this was to where it is now, it's clear that the government has been listening to the, the concern of landlords. Um, I think at one stage it felt like this was an anti-landlord bill. I think it's fair to say that there has been improvements there. So I'm hoping for more depth hoping for more plan um, and hoping for more thinking. Um, I just want to move on past this slide, please. We've talked about some of the political influences here uh, and I'm conscious we've kind of we're running out of time. 
Um, when Labour, when, if Labour come in, um, uh, fraudulent slip there, um, if they were come in, they have committed to, um, to, cer- to certain measures in the first hundred days. Um, there's been interesting interviews across different stakeholders within, within that party that have said within the first hundred days, they're looking to abolish Section 21, introduce reform in the PRS. Um, if this is challenging for the Conservative government, it's challenging for the Labour government. The challenges remain the same no matter which party is in place. Um, and we hope that from a stakeholder uh, point of view, they continue to communicate and really um, work with the sector rather than sort of moving forward on maybe potential clickbait things that sound great, but in practice don't work. And we've covered a few of those today. Um, I just want to finish on how agents can take advantage of of these changes, because we've taught Laura and Sean about how education helps here. Um if you're a letting agent today, from everything we hear, um, is that new business is hard to come by. Landlords are really worried about change. They're really worried about their long-term investment. Um, and as much as interest rates have, have risen, um, the cost of living affects landlords. Um, uh, Laura, I'll start with you. Um, how do you, or what do you see the role of the letting agents over the next two to three years, given the gravity of changes and also the uncertainty in nearly everything we've spoken about today? Good question. Um, the role of the letting agent is, in my view, I speak from the legal perspective when it goes wrong, right? Learn, attend this sort of webinar. You know, I'm not vested in good Lord, I, you know, I'm a separate practitioner, but learn and be part of the discussion on what this law looks like and is going to be. And then how can you pigeon yourself? How can you place yourself as the best? in the business or be aiming towards that? What can you be doing and giving to your landlords? Can you be dealing with the property portal? What can you do with rent deposit passports? I know we haven't got that. What can you do with referencing to make sure that your landlords get the best tenants that stay? Because that's what really people tend to want. People want a good landlord and a good tenant and the relationship continues for a long time. No evictions, no drama. So what is the referencing process going to be like? What is the market rent? Be absolutely on top of the market rent in that area and have mm. evidence ready to provide. I think the letting agent has a huge role to play. What policies can be put in place? You know, come and speak to some lawyers to find out what sort of procedures you need to put in place. What tick, le- tick boxes, tick lists do you have to make sure you're covering everything off on this new legislation? That's just a few thoughts off the top of my head. Fantastic. And Sean, from your perspective, um, remaining compliant, um, what are the what are the best ways to keep up to date above and beyond maybe webinars like this um, as we move forward with proposed changes to ensure that agents can educate landlords in, in the best possible way? Well, I think you're absolutely right. The, uh, the best way to, uh, you know, to, to uh, future proof yourself is to be constantly learning. So that would be listening to these sort of webinars. Consider joining uh, um, um, Property Market and or Ucala or Safe Agent, one of those organisations that uh, you have access then to that uh, uh, collective knowledge that, mm. the, that is there. Um, whatever you you know, keep your, your you keep up to date with everything with your with your CPD and your and your and your development. I, I think, however. You've also got to be, remember, you're running businesses. And the first thing I would say to agents is hold your line. So don't, the first thing you shouldn't do, the thing you shouldn't do in reaction to all of this is to start dropping your prices and trying mm. to compete by, by, by being the lowest uh, price on the market to try and attract the, uh, the, 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 the landlords. Get there, make sure that your, every one of your landlords understands exactly your value and why you charge what you charge and what the risks are and the benefits are of them not of doing this there themselves. I mean, the number one thing there is a number of agents that want to go it alone now because they think they're saving money. They are your, and everything has to be your primary uh, customer because they're the ones that when they, when it goes pear shaped, they come and say, oh, I wish I had uh, a use an agent in the first place. You've got to be there for them, uh, for those sort of people, but also say to your existing landlords, I'm, you know, it's, it's got, you know, you have to pay us to do the service that, 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 that it is, but these are the, the repercussions. They're talking about some silly size fines now for landlords yeah. that don't like this. Silly thousand, you know, 60,000 uh, pounds to unlimited. 
and actually losing your property easier than uh, than mm. you do at the moment. You know, you could end up kind of like losing your entire property if if you break some of these these regulations. Yeah, so, I, I, I agree on that. I think if if the landlords are if landlords are in a in a car race, the truck in front of them is changing, and they don't know which way it's going to change to at the moment. And I would, for that point, uh, for that probably for a quite poor analogy, I would argue that the letting agent role has never been so important to give some peace of mind and assurity and confidence. And why do people go and use a letting agent? But over only half the sector do, it, it, they're really looking for peace of mind. They want somebody to take care of this and maintain the integrity of their investment. And I think, you know, being able to signpost without scaremonger what these impending changes are and then reassure that it's probably never been so important to have your property managed by a professional and be able to show why you are a professional and the value you bring, I think then allows you to dictate a fee that it's in line with that value that is being brought um, to the landlord. So I think it's a it's an opportunistic time for, for, for the right agents who can can, can really manoeuvre and explain and tell that story because it's a story that's unfolding in front of our eyes. And I'm just, just conscious we've got a few questions here, so I'm going to cover these really quickly if I can. Um, we've got one from someone who's not left their name. Good morning. Um, how can a letting agent be part of the discussions? It feels as though we do not have a voice. Um, I'm certainly not looking to take your voice away from you. We, we did have a letting agent on the last session. I'm more than happy to to entertain any letting agents that would like to join these sessions. So if you're interested to join these sessions and be part of this and give your voice um, Ollie, as part I of the panel. It, it might have been that it went, you meant voice in this legislation going through. Ah, it might have been in response to what I was saying. And, and maybe. Not, not either, either, <laughs> either way, if it's, if it's if you want a voice on here, you're more than welcome. We have had agents on in the past. If you want a voice in terms of uh, the discussions around the wider bill, um, then I would suggest speaking to your local MP. I'd suspect speaking to your, your any trade body you're affiliated with, um, or in, indeed look for group support. Um, open letters are powerful things, um, and actually joining uh, as a group of people to, to voice an opinion that you're aligned on can be effective, and we've seen that work in the past. Um, Hugh says, um, you're doing a very good job, um, and I find your sessions very informative. I made you in a bad mood. Don't worry, Hugh. Hugh was the point who made the, made the point of no plan and no thinking. It's absolutely understandable. Uh, it's been a long year, Hugh. Um, Pascal, inter- incredibly interesting session. Great to hear from Laura for the first time. Thank you. Um, I would echo those thoughts. Um, and finally, we'll finish on Gavin. Um, thanks, Ollie, Lauren, Sean. Very useful update and discussion. Um, so, listen, that brought, draws us to the end of, 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 this, of, of the session today. Um, I apologize, we've overrun by a few minutes. Um, hopefully, you found that insightful as an update of where we are and, and some of the potential talk tracks that we can be using with landlords to help establish why um, there's an opportunity here to, to ensure letting agents you know, remain absolutely valuable as I believe they are. Um, Laura, thank you so much for your insight. I look forward to you hopefully having again in the future as we get more legal updates through the amendment process and sean as always thanks once again for your insights to everyone else um, have a fantastic rest of your day and thank you so much for joining cheers now bye-bye mm-hmm.